0: are listening to the podcast of the white church at the elk river ymca in minnesota our mission is to seek jesus connect together and share his love as jesus and his disciples were on their way he came to a village where a woman named martha opened her home to him she had a sister called mary who sat at the lord's feet listening to what he said but martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I was thinking it's very fitting that Greg is reading this passage for us today. Because I firsthand have experienced the hospitality of Greg and his wife Donna. They live not too far away from us. They had me over. This was pre-COVID, you know, and you could have people over to your house. And I went over one afternoon for coffee, conversation, and the most amazing orange scones I have ever seen in my life. It was wonderful. They welcomed me into their home. I got to meet their pet canary which was really fun, and then just had a great time and conversation together to sit at their table and experience true hospitality. I bet you remember, too, what it looks like to meet someone at the door or to go over to someone's house. You know what it was like in those days when people could come over and you would grab their coat and you'd hang it up and you'd ask them what they might like to drink and show them a nice place to sit in your living room or maybe out on the back deck. Today's story is this simple setting of hospitality. And yet, even with a short passage here, there is a profound lesson for all of us who have decided to follow Jesus. And I want to be really open with you as we open these pages of Scripture that this, for me, is a very challenging piece of Scripture to take in, to learn, and to apply. It's easy for me to be just like Martha in this story. Like, right? that's the default mode of my life. That's who I would be in the pages of the Beginner's Bible. It'd be my illustration, you know, getting more and more worked up with all this stuff to do. And so this week I've experienced just what it is to come under the Lord's correction. Isn't that a good place to be? Hebrews tells us the Lord disciplines those who He loves. And I'm so grateful that He would convict and prod and prompt in my own life, and not leave me the way that he found me. And so I just want to share that at the outset, that what I impress upon you today is first the message that I have had to hear from the Lord myself. The passage is just a few verses here at the end of chapter 10, and Luke's gospel is the only gospel that includes this story. It's kind of a fun thing this fall. We're featuring stories that are unique to Luke in this series that we've called The Doctor is in, Discipleship in Luke. And even though it's a small story, and it could appear to stand on its own, I encourage you to always ask this question when you're reading in Scripture, what comes right before this, and what comes right after it, and is there any connection? I think there is, and we would do well to take note of those things before we get into the details of the story. Luke 10 is a place we've been now for two weeks, and it is quite the chapter, Last week, we were in the very first story of Luke 10, the sending of the 72. So just a little mini recap. In chapter 9, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples. Then we get into chapter 10, and he adds 72 more. And he sends them out in pairs. And their job is to prepare people in the villages and towns ahead to meet Jesus. Jesus is going to come down the road, and you want to hear this guy. You want to be ready to meet him. And when the 72 come back then from those little mission trips that they're on, what do they come back and say to Jesus? They say essentially, Lord, look what we've done. We looked at it last week. They say, Even the demons submit to us in your name. Lord, look at all the stuff we can do. And then the story right after that, in the middle of Luke 10, is the story of the Good Samaritan. And how does that one begin? with somebody standing up and saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Just tell me what to do. And so we see this emphasis on activity, on all the doing that there is to do. This is the default mode of our spiritual life so often that we measure ourselves by what we have done. As if we're running to Jesus like a child with a report card saying, look what I've done. I've tried so hard and I've tried to do all these right things. Look at all these top grades that I have. Or if our report card does not have so many top grades, then actually we don't run to Jesus because we don't have the grades and we cower in fear or in shame and we might actively wonder to ourselves, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, I really botched up the first half of my life. And so what am I going to do now? Jesus, will you tell me what to do to get back into your good graces? And even the agnostic, which so characterizes much of our American culture, will say to himself, well, if I try to be the best person I can be now and do all these nice things, maybe I can balance out the bad with more of the good. And then it will all work out in the end. If I just give it an honest try then God, or whoever it is, will hopefully be satisfied in the end. Stacked on these stories about doing. So the Sending of the 72, the Good Samaritan, stacked on these stories is a story about being. Martha is doing, Mary is sitting. Martha is doing, Mary is listening. And now we look to the other side of the story. Isn't it interesting what happens right after this scene? It's Luke 11 where Jesus teaches his disciples not about doing, but about depending on God in prayer. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. We can get so carried away in our doing in our life that we miss the guest who is there simply waiting for our company. I want to say one final word about this and then we'll look at the actual verses. I want to be clear that this story is not about the contemplative life versus the active life. Like some real black and white contrast as if the message is to stop doing all this stuff and to turn into some kind of monk or nun or mystic. That's not the picture here. That would be to misunderstand the passage. This is really a passage about priority. And how the right order of priorities shapes both your being and your doing. And we'll say more about that in a little bit. But for now, let's get into this story and see how it unfolds. Jesus and his disciples are traveling, it says, as it opens in 38. And Jesus arrives at this unnamed village at the home of Martha and Mary. Now, we know a few things from other places in Scripture that then kind of fill in some of the details. So we know that the village is Bethany, which was two miles east of Jerusalem, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And this family was very familiar to Jesus. Two sisters and a brother. Brother's not mentioned in this story, but we see him at other places. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And I wonder if, especially for those who are younger, if you've ever wondered if Jesus just had, like, friends. You know, we know he had disciples— But did he just have friends? And I think this trio here answers that question. Yes, they are believers in Jesus, but we see in them a true portrait of friendship that Jesus enjoyed in Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. When Lazarus dies in John chapter 11, we see Jesus weeping at his tomb. Weeping for his friends and the pain of death on this family and these two sisters remaining, even though he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus weeps at his tomb. I encourage you to read John chapter 11, and that story is a compliment to this story about what happened in Bethany that day. But understand this in Luke 10, that Jesus is visiting his friends. And it would appear that perhaps Martha is the oldest, Of the siblings. She seems to be the one in charge. It says that Martha opened her home to Jesus. And Mary, by way of contrast, is simply introduced as Martha's sister. Now, when we consider Mary, don't miss some of the subtle nuances that are here in this story. Have you ever been introduced as so and so's sister or brother? Hayden is back there doing projection. Hayden, how many times have you been introduced as Grace's brother? or Coulter's brother, right? Younger siblings know this dynamic. And this can follow some of us all the way into adulthood. You could be all grown up, and you're somehow living under the shadow of your sibling. That's Mary. I mean, even her name is common. Very common name in their time. Nothing special. And she's introduced in the story as Martha's sister. Furthermore, there are three characters in this story— Who is the one that never speaks? You see it out there? It's Mary. Mary never says a single word in this passage, even though she is the one that we're about to learn something vitally important from. And can you think of someone in your life where this might be the truth, where you have learned volumes by their example? Like they didn't even have to say all that much. You just watched their life. And you learned from them. That's Mary. She doesn't say a word, but it's her example, her posture, that says it all. So let's look at this a little bit together. Verse 39 is where we'll pick it up. It says, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now to sit at someone's feet was in their culture a sign of submission. Like Mary has recognized who is in the room, that he is the Lord, and if there is any place to be when you're in the Lord's presence, it is at his feet. This was also the posture of a disciple. In their culture, a rabbi would sit and teach, wouldn't stand to do a sermon, but would be seated. That was the posture of teaching. And then the disciple would sit at the rabbi's feet almost like I picture a kindergarten class where the teacher might sit with a real good storybook and then all the kids are gathered around to listen. That was the posture of a disciple. And the Greek makes it clear that this was Mary's initiative. The exact verb for sat means she sat herself beside. She sat herself beside. It wasn't as if She was seated already in the living room and then Jesus came over and arrived and he walked in and he plopped down in a chair beside her. It wasn't that way. That's not what it says. The verb indicates it was Mary who sat herself beside Jesus. She saw the opportunity and took the posture of a disciple. And the fact that Mary, a woman, would do this is absolutely stunning. And you and I read through this With an American lens in 2020, and we miss this aspect, but in ancient Jewish culture, this would have been unthinkable. And if anyone in this story should be censured and corrected, it's not Martha. It is Mary who would dare to take this kind of position. She should be up doing exactly what Martha is doing, serving the food, offering hospitality, Intending to the home. The role of women in their culture was centered on domestic duty. Their role was to support the religious instruction of the men, never to take it up on their own initiative. But this is not the way of discipleship, is it? Jesus comes with this message inviting all people to know Him and to follow Him. Men, women, young people, and even children. So Mary sees this opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet. And then what did she do there? It's the last part of the verse. She listened to what he was saying. In the Gospel of Luke, to listen to the word of the Lord is to join the road of discipleship. That means, yes, you have decided to follow Jesus. I could show you several examples of this, but none closer than Luke 11, the very next chapter where a woman from the crowd calls out to Jesus and she says, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. All right, so let's paraphrase that. What she's saying is, Blessed is the woman who raised such a son as you, who did such an awesome job and has such a great spiritual report card. And what does Jesus say? He says to her, No, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. To listen to the Word is to be on the road of discipleship. And Mary doesn't want to miss her turn. Meanwhile, in the other room, in the kitchen, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now some people see in Martha the classic type A personality. A personality that is proactive, responsible, ambitious, rigidly organized, concentrated on time management. So some of you see yourselves in this. Some of you are nudging your spouse because you see them in this story. Some of you see one of your kids. But at some level, we can all relate to this. Martha was distracted by all the stuff there was to do. And this is the only place in the entire New Testament where this word is used. Perispao is the word in Greek. Distracted. And its literal meaning is to be pulled away by something. To be pulled away and overburdened by something. So I want to ask you just to reflect about your own day-to-day life right now. And think, what for me are those classic places of distraction? When you think about your own life, what are the things that tend to pull you away from being with the Lord and listening to His Word? What are the things that for you overburden you and keep you busy? They keep you hopping. Martha was distracted by all the preparations. And if you and I were reading the Greek text, it would say here, she was distracted by the diaconia. We get the word deacon from that. It's their word for ministry or service. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that sometimes our very ministry, the work of the church, your commitment to serve, can actually get in the way of you being with Jesus? The activity of ministry, the work of the church, the way you serve can actually distract you from the more important task of listening to the Word of God. The church can be full of busybodies, people with a deep sense of duty, but who are out of touch with the Lord that we say we're serving. And that's a dangerous place for a church to be, where people are serving and serving, but no one is spiritually growing. And this is coming, mind you, from the Gospel of Luke. And Luke emphasizes so much the importance of service. The story of the Good Samaritan, the one that comes right before this, Jesus finishes it by saying, Go and do likewise. But here we're reminded, not at the expense of hearing the word. Our very best serving flows out of listening. One Bible scholar put it this way. A Luke expert writes, service of the hand cannot supersede service with the ear since the ear guides the heart and the hand. So it starts here. When we sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen to what he has said, that is fuel for a life of true service. Martha, on the other hand, is running on empty calories. You know what it's like to run on empty calories? and you have your, well, at least me, I have my sugar cereal for breakfast and then you're hungry by like 10 a.m. She's laboring for the Lord at the expense of His Word. All those preparations, all those things to do, where do they lead her? First to distraction and then to irritation. I want you to just imagine the scene That is happening in the home that day. And the Beginner's Bible does a great job with some of the pictures. The longer Mary sits, the more irritated Martha gets. There's this very real feel to the story today, especially if you grew up with siblings in your house, as Megan pointed out. Can you just picture this where Martha is just starting to stew and simmer? The longer she watches her sister sit there while she's doing all the work, Can you picture her hustling in and out of the kitchen and cooking up a storm and the dishes are piling up and the sink is full? And whenever Martha is out in the living room then, she's looking at Mary. And if looks could kill, Mary would be in trouble at this point. But Mary doesn't seem to notice, which makes Martha even madder. Pretty soon, you can hear from the kitchen, the dishes are clanking with a little extra noise. And things are being set down on the table with a little extra force. And the cupboard doors are slamming a little bit louder than they normally do. And, and one of the other disciples says, Martha, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. She says. But she's not fine. And she's finally so exasperated and infuriated that she marches into the living room and she says, Lord, I mean, Mary's sitting right there, right? She looks right past Mary. Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Lord, don't you care? Have we heard this before in the Gospels? Mark 4, in a boat. They say, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care, Jesus? You and I can feel awfully alone at times. Either because the threat of what lies around us is so severe against us or because we have isolated ourselves from hearing the master's voice. For Martha, it's the latter. She's distracted, overburdened, and now playing the martyr. The martyr complex on full display here. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself and then the demand, tell her to help me. Now Martha calls Jesus Lord, but who is telling who what to do here? Martha has her plans made up in her mind. She is not here to listen. She's busy. She's got a to-do list a mile long. She is under a level of pressure that no one else seems to appreciate. She has tried to bottle it up to this point. But now it just erupts as Martha has had it. And I imagine that the house got very quiet very quickly after she says this. You could have cut the tension with a knife. But Jesus speaks to Martha as one who is full of compassion. He says, Martha, Martha. When Jesus says something twice, you want to pay attention, especially when it's your name. He says, Martha, Martha. They're words of affection, like he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, in Luke 13. Where he says, Simon, Simon, in Luke 22. Here he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset by many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Some of you today... Perhaps the majority of us are worried and upset, like Martha, about many things. Frankly, there really are many things to be worried and upset about when you think about it. And these things will skew your priorities, they will distract your focus, and they will consume your time and your energy until all of your time and your energy are spent on them. Jesus says, Martha, you don't really need this stuff right now. This isn't the priority. You really just need one thing, to sit at my feet and to listen to my voice. Everything else has its time after that. When Jesus says Mary has chosen what is better, it's actually kind of the vocabulary of eating a meal that's used here. Literally, it says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Have you ever noticed how kids will automatically take the best portion when presented with some options? That's just automatically take the biggest piece of the candy bar or the nicest piece that's on the table for dinner. Mary just arrives, sees that the table is set, and she picks the best portion, except this meal is not for the body. But a spiritual food. Which is why Jesus says it will not be taken away from her. My brother-in-law, Johannes, who passed away earlier this year, he told me a few years ago how important it was for him to have spiritual breakfast each morning. And he's from Germany, so he would say, you can practice your high school German, geistlich frühstücken, to have breakfast spiritually. And what he meant was to begin each day sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to His Word. In other words, to open up Scripture and to spend time in prayer. Johannes, Esther's brother, told me that he just didn't feel like he could face A new day without first having breakfast with the Lord. That's what this passage is all about. It's not about downplaying how we serve others, it is not commending to us some kind of ascetic life of meditation, but this is a story that is about finding your priorities. To see the opportunity that you have to be with Jesus and to take it. to set that other stuff aside for a bit, to sit at his feet and listen to his word. And I want to ask you at the close of the message today if you will receive this correction if that is what this is saying to you. Because Jesus is clear, he's firm, but he is so full of affection in what he says to you today. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He says, Martha, Martha, Bjorn, Bjorn, Greg, Greg. He's saying your name to you, and you don't want to miss it. I want to challenge you to try something. Just one idea. There's, there's so many, but one idea I want to share with you in response to this message. I bet there's something even later today or tomorrow that you think or you know you have to do. There's something on your list. And I want you to, to simply replace it in that moment with time in Scripture and in prayer. And I want you to just do it as an experiment. See what happens. So you can turn wherever you want, but maybe turn to Luke. Listen to the Lord. Bring Him what is worrying you or upsetting you. And I want you to see if He does not return that time to you and even more. When you choose the good portion and you set your priorities in order. Will you pray with me? I want to pray today, echoing words from Psalm one nineteen. Let's make these our own. You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise, Lord. I've considered my ways. Lord, yes, today we've done that. And we want to turn our steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. For Jesus' sake, and in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewhychurch.org.